We're going to be doing something a little bit uh, different today. Normally, uh, I read a passage of scripture and stand up and, and preach and whatnot. And we're going to be going through some scripture today as well. So that won't be different. But we need to talk about something in our church now. Um, and the importance of this topic and why this conversation needs to come up. Uh, we're at a place in Genesis House where the growth of our church and where we, we, where we are in terms of establishment, we have to look at uh, creating partnerships with, with one another. Uh, the, um, you might be familiar with the term member or membership, um, but that's the base. If you come from other churches, they might use that term. And today we want to talk about that ourselves. Um, I kind of want to just talk to you in the history of why we need to be, be making this decision and what that actually looks like and means for you. So, part of being a charitable society, part of being a, uh, a society in Canada under the CRA, is you have to have voting members. That's part of what it is to be, uh, maintain your status. And charitable status um, is something that we do have here at Genesis House. So we do need voting members or voting partners, and that's why partly we have to have this conversation. Secondly, there's three stages in, in the Free Methodist Church in terms of church development. There's church plant, which is introductory, affiliation, which is a secondary level, and society, which is third. After six years, I don't know if you know this, but last week was our anniversary. Last Sunday was six, six years officially. Um, uh, we are at a place now where we're, the, the, the Methodist Church is asking us to become a society. And you need membership uh, and partnership in that as well to go forward. And so this is important for us as a church because... Uh, societal levels allow us to make decisions with autonomy and have more direct control of how we function in our vision. I don't know if you remember, but even up to a year and a half ago, like we couldn't make any, we couldn't even sneeze without the, uh, a Pine Ridge House giving us the authority to do so. And it's not that they wouldn't be supportive of us because we exist because of them in many ways, but uh, you know, we, we all make our own decisions and, and we can function the vision that we see fit. So we want to pr pursue this. So that is, uh, that is why we're having this conversation now. And time is of the essence. It's October and Christmas is a write-off. And so we've got basically you know, eight weeks to sort of move into this, uh, into this position of uh, uh, partnering with one another. And we have to have annual meetings and all sorts of things. I, for one, don't enjoy uh, all this bureaucracy. And so I know some of you might be sensitive to this area as well. So let me just uh, say uh, one thing. Um, when I first started church planting, I wanted to be basically like independent of all structure. I wanted that. I, I wanted to break away from that which I come from. Um, I realize now that uh, as much as it's been great to be free in many ways, being under an authority figure like the Free Methodist Church has been very helpful. For example, we, we've been given seed money to get the church plant going. Uh, that was vital to the survival of us in the beginning. Um, you've heard the bishop come here and preach. You've heard Jared come here and preach. These guys are phen phenomenal men uh, who have a tremendous heart for God and, and love Genesis House and what we're doing and are really supportive of who we are. And I've made some great connections with people across Canada and have had uh, tremendous um, support from the, the higher up structure. And so... Um, it's been of great benefit. Uh, another, actually, another benefit too is like my education. I, this is unheard of. Like most pastor friends of mine have paid for their seminary. I'm getting free seminary. 
that every time I go to school, the denomination gives me a grant, a scholarship, and says, here's a 100% bursary for your education. I mean, it's, I mean, every one of you who's got a university degree, who paid for that? You did. And my degree, who pays for that? The church, the denomination does. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. So there's many, many uh, benefits to being part of the society, or being part of the denomination. So I want to talk to you a bit about this. But the first thing we have to deal with is, is there any biblical proof of membership or partnership in the Bible? I used to say, why should we have membership? There's no example of membership in the Bible. It does not exist. Well, I beg to differ. I think I was wrong in my presuppositions. And I want to walk through scripturally where this will occur. And why things look different today than what they looked like in the past. The biblical evidence. Acts 2.41. Peter has given the gospel. People have heard the gospel and they realize that they crucified the Messiah and they're now cut to the heart because they are um, so deflated that they, really, they, they recognize they killed their own Messiah, the person that, they, that the prophet spoke about. And so he gives this gospel presentation and he, and he, and he, and he speaks to the people and they're broken hearted. And then they, they say, what do we do? And he says, repent and receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. So they go through that process and in Acts 2.41 it says this, So then those who had received his word were baptized and the day, that day they were added, added about 3,000 souls. In 4.4 it says many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. 5,000. Luke here is the one recording this. He knew how many people were being added to the body of Christ. These were numbers that were recorded in hard, cold evidence. There was a, and this is really important because he wasn't guessing about how many were added. There was somebody keeping track. In other words, you're a Christian, part of the new church, you're not, and vice versa. Or you're, you're, you're Jewish and you, know, and you still are part of God's people in terms of the covenants with Abraham, but you're not part of the new community in terms of this Christian context. They, knew, they would have had recording names and numbers to identify who was in and who was out in terms of belonging to the house of God, the church of God. And this is really important, making a clear distinction between who belonged and who didn't. And there's an important passage in Acts 5, verse 12, that shows similar things. It says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest, meaning the non-church community, dared to associate with them. So there's the rest and there's them, two distinct groups. However, the people held them in high esteem. And the more believers in the and, and in all, the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So again, there's a clear distinction here. This is not just the church's viewpoint of, about uh, having a, a partnership here or belonging to the body of Christ. The outside world, the non-believing community, recognized that they're distinct from us. Now, entrance into the body of Christ in those days had two major components. Two major components. One was faith in Jesus, a personal faith in Jesus Christ, repentance and confession. And one was baptism. One was baptism. The early church, this is really important for us to listen to, the early church made no distinction between the two in terms of like 
them being simultaneous. Faith in Christ and baptism were synonymous. Faith in Christ, you became part of the body of Christ spiritually, but it was through the visible act of baptism that you entered into the faith community. So how would I know if you were a member or a partner in that church? I'd have said, I saw you got baptized that day. I know you're in. I know you're part of that community. And you made a commitment to those people. In other words, baptism was your declaration of membership into the church family, visibly. You understood this then as entering into a covenant, which was a mutual agreement, with like-minded people. And that's why they could count the numbers. It wasn't, the, it wasn't people going this, I believe in Jesus, Peter. I believe. Okay, we'll write you down. It wasn't that church. It was these people were getting baptized, and as they were coming out of the water, they were adding the number. You see the, see the, the, the clarity there? It wasn't a, just a profession of faith. It was a visible act, a visible demonstration that they wanted to belong to the community. And it was done through immersion. And once you were baptized, you were into the entered into the community. So I thought of an, an analogy, or an, an acronym, I should say. We, have, we know what the CBC is, the Canadian Broadcast uh, something or other. Obviously, I don't. Corporation. We, obviously, your pastor doesn't know, but I expected you to know. Good. Congratulations, you passed my test. Yeah. But uh, the CBC. Conversion, baptism, community. That's how it looked in that day. Conversion, repentance, confession, baptized, you're entered in the community, you're added to the number, you've made a covenant with the people of God, the new community. Now, we don't function this way, and I think we've lost something in the church by that. I think we have. What we typically do, and it's a, it's a, it's a North American, or probably a worldwide um, adopted practice, we, people come to Christ, and then we can often wait three, six, nine months, a year, two years, some people, I've heard, don't even get baptized after receiving Christ. And so we divorce the time period between conversion and confession and repentance, and we divorce that from a long period of time of baptism. We go through this rigorous interview process to make sure that you're a Christian, and then we baptize you and go forward. I would love for Genesis House to return to the old early church in this way. So, you know, so-and-so became a Christian on Friday, gather a bunch of people, bring them down to the river, get them baptized that night, or wait till Sunday and just do it right away. But you know the point, they make this the margin super small. Now Canada has a bit of an issue, we have winter and problems, and so we'd have to be creative in how we, uh, how we did that. Maybe we have to keep someone's hot tub uh, open all winter. And, uh, but these are some fun things to think about. Because if we got baptized immediately, it would be a, it would be a picture, a visible picture of entrance into the community of faith. In, in Genesis House, or in any church for that matter. Now, once you're in this community, in this early church, once you're baptized and entered in the community, there are relational commitments. There are racial, relational commitments. And, and you can go through these in yourself. If you just read Acts chapter uh, 2 through basically like, you know, 11, you're going to see a lot of these. Um, but especially chapters 2 and whatnot and 4. But what happened in the, in the early church was, You'd, you'd regularly get together to receive the apostles' teaching. So you'd gather, you'd go from being a non-Christian to a Christian, and your life would be marked differently because you'd be just gathering under the apostles' teaching and learning about all the teachings of Jesus and how to interpret the Old Testament properly. You'd be part of <coughs> times of prayer. You'd have private prayer meetings in your homes, not only for praise items, but for crisis items. Remember, Peter was thrown in jail in Acts, things around Acts chapter 12. 
somewhere in there. And Peter's thrown in jail. And they gather together as a body of Christ to pray for his release. And he's released. So the body of believers gathers together for prayer, both in praise things, thanksgivings, times of thanksgivings and celebrations, and times of crisis. Other relational obligations were they an overarching concern for one another. You can see them all through Acts chapter 2, 4, 6, and so on, taking care of their physical needs of one another. Uh, people who are in need financially, the body of Christ would come behind them and take care of their needs, and they'd pray for one another's sickness and all sorts of things. So again, beautiful relational obligations within this community entered into through conversion, baptism, and here we are. Another clear-cut passage for membership, though, I believe, is in 1 Corinthians 5. It's the discipline case um, where there's a, there's a guy in there committing sexual immorality. And Paul hears about this guy. You can look it up in 5.12. There's a guy there who's committing sexual immorality. He's not been expelled from the church. And Paul finds out about it and says, what are you guys doing? You need to excommunicate this fellow because he's, he's bringing sin into the camp, so to speak. Well, what's interesting about that church is that expulsion only makes sense in terms of visible belonging. Like if someone came to me, like someone came in here, I attended one church service and I found out that there was some sin in their life and I said to them, by the way, uh, like I'm kicking you out of here. I would never use that language. But they'd say, but I don't even belong here. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, I forgot about that, right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, they have to, but if, you're in a, if you make a co covenant with a, with a community, when you belong to them, then you can appropriately uh, hold each other in accountability. You can hold me in accountability, I can hold you in accountability, and so on. So the covenant commitments and the, and the, and the partnership membership only made sense in 1 Corinthians 5 because Paul understood that person belongs to your community. There's a distinction. Now here's the tension point for me, and this might be the tension point for some of you if you, this is still like uh, sort of new or you're working through these things. I want to talk to you about the difference between the church back then and the church now in terms of why membership might be looked differently or needs to be thought of differently. Remember back then, there's one denomination. One. That's it. You belong to the body of Christ. In term, and you were called, they actually, it's cool, they actually used the, uh, in the when they were in Antioch, it said the, the, peop, the people were first called Christians in Antioch. It says that in Acts. That's the first time the word Christians actually used as an Acts. So they were called Christians, but there was one denomination and one belief, and they were, they, they, uh, in terms of preferences of worship and how they accented the Christian life, it looked the same. But years go on, years go on, years go on. Man starts to mess it up, start to value certain preferences in the Christian faith that they like more than others, and they think, I gotta break away from this community and this community and this community, and we'll create a denomination because then we can, we can worship God appropriately and we're going to have these distinctives in, our, in the way we worship God. And so the Pentecostals value, uh, value like spiritual gifts and, and the, uh, in terms of how their expression in the service and whatnot. Um, you know, uh, the Baptists have a certain view of things and, and, and whatnot. And the Free Methodist Church that we belong to have for certain views as well. But denominations was never God's intention. It was always going to, supposed to be one, but we have created them. So, we're still the body of Christ in the big picture, but because we have distinctives, we then have to decide as people, who are we going to covenant with and who are we going to partner with? We are all members of the body of Christ, 
but you have to make a covenant with some distinctive group of people because of the way our society is, is structured. And so, and the way our church is structured. And so, we belong to the Free Methodist Church of Canada because we like their distinctives and we like what they stand for. We can still worship with other people and, we're, and the Free Methodist Church is open to that. But in terms of partnering with someone, we want to partner with the Free Methodist Church because of the distinctives that they hold. <coughs> And I want to share these with you so that you understand who you, if you partner with us, who you belong to and what their background is. So again, you understand then that uh, we have to decide who we have to partner with because we have multiple denominations, whereas in the early church there was a single denomination. And so we have to make a decision. If we can't live with the distinctives of the Free Methodist Church or Genesis House, then we would have to move on somewhere else in which we agreed to the vision of that church. So let me give you a bit of the, the history of the Free Methodist Church so you understand where we come from. Because if you decide to partner, I want you to, I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to give you the big picture and you're going to, the, the, the nice things and the ugly things and you're going to decide, are, are we worth committing to? The Methodist movement started in the 1700s by a man named John Wesley in England. He was ordained as an Anglican minister with the Church of England. But what made him unique was it was an incredible commitment to discipleship. Incredible commitment to discipleship. He, he left his office in the church and went out onto the streets of England and ministered to people and created groups of people where he really inputted into their lives. He, Methodism was coined Methodism because when they looked at John Wesley's life in terms of how he structured his life and ministry, they called him methodical. He was so methodical in the way he went about his discipleship groups you would graduate levels. You'd have level A, B, C, and if once you learned enough in A, you'd move to B and C and so on. And they called them methodical, so they got coined the Methodist after his name. He was active during the Industrial Revolution in Britain. Child mortality back then, church, was two out of five children. Two out of, so we have 20, 20, about 25 kids in this church. That means two out of five, so that'd be uh, five times two, ten. Ten of our 25 children would have passed away by now if you were living in England in the Industrial Revolution. Ten funerals in Genesis House in six years if you were back in England back then. Why was this going on? Alcoholism was so rampant. Gin, gin manufacturers were crazy because all the people had moved from the rural areas into the urban centers for the Industrial Revolution doing the factory work. And alcoholism and gin was rampant, rampant and they were neglecting their children. <laughs> and they were just dying. Many of the people were in prison because, again, you can see that kind of lifestyle uh, being always consumed by alcohol doesn't lead to usually a moral lifestyle. He walks in and single-handedly reverses the culture because he minute, people in the thousands were coming to Christ and cleaning up their, their lives. He was active in abolishing slavery that was rampant back then. And what was really cool about this guy was he appointed lay people to ministry. He was ordained in the Church of England, but said, you know what? Just because you're ordained doesn't mean you're not useful to God in terms of discipleship or teaching or preaching. He, he trained lay people to go out on horseback, and they would go into the, uh, the rural centers of, uh, of England and preach the gospel into unknown territories, and people would come to Christ in droves. That is so key for Genesis House. Why am I in the position I'm in here today? 
I have no ordination, but I'm ministering to you as a pastor because of the Methodist viewpoint about how this could look. As long as you have the gifts of the Spirit and you are match the characteristics of Titus and Timothy, you can be a leader in the denomination, in this denomination, thanks to John Wesley, an ordained man saying, it can go beyond just me. And the people in the Church of England hated him, by the way. He got thrown out of the window every time he preached there because of his commitment to holiness and his views on these types of issues. So, Methodism spreads to North America and begins to lose its gospel focus. And the results are that pastors and congregant members feel the need to break away. And they did so in 1860 and started the Free Methodist Movement. Now, why did they break away? There was four things that the Methodist Church was doing that they wanted to break away from. They wanted to be free from them. The first one is this. Free from renting pews. In that culture, if you were wealthy, you could rent the front pews or any pew you wanted that you thought was the best seat in the house. And anyone who was second class would sit in the back. They would do that to create money to pay for the, basically the church and the pastor and basically to create tithes. So what happened was it created a two-tier system. You, you knew when you walked in by where you were sitting that you were second class. And so the Free Methodist Church said, forget this. We want even the poor to be able to sit in this church and feel equal as, as an image bearer of Jesus Christ. And so they broke away from the Methodist Church over that. Number two, freedom for the Spirit to work during worship. The holiness movement was breaking across the United States. And that time, it was known for livelier worship services. And uh, these members uh, wanted to uh, reject, the Methodist church wanted to reject this, least, stick to the more traditional you know, type of uh, service and sort of more staunch and that, what, whatnot. And uh, the Free Methodist movement, uh, these guys wanted to break away and allow the freedom of the spirit to move in the service if they decided to do so. <coughs> Freedom from slavery was a big issue in the United States. They wanted the movement, of course, to move away from the slavery, which, of course, is, makes sense. I don't need any explanation on that. And finally, freedom from secret societies. Believe it or not, many pastors in the, and clergy were part of the Freemason movement. They're part of the Freemason movement, and they're more committed to the Freemason movement than they were to their own church. And so these, these men and women who broke away wanted to be free of cultish groups. So then the church moves to Canada. Moves to Canada, and we continue to adopt these free Methodist beliefs and practices. So what makes us unique as a denomination? Um, okay, what makes us unique? I'll read you their vision statement. It's the vision of the free Methodist church in Canada to see healthy churches within the reach of all people in Canada and beyond. That's their vision. They have a commitment to holiness, they think that how you live matters as a Christian. They have commitment to church health. They really care about how we're doing as a body. And they do everything in their power, either financially or emotionally or spiritually, whatever, to, to come alongside us to make sure that we're surviving and doing well. Or it's not even, not, even, not surviving, thriving and doing well. If you decide to become a member, I will provide you with a sheet of their core values so that you understand them more. One of the key distinctives, of course, is their use of lay ministers, which I just described, right? That's exactly why we have a church today. I would not be able to practice in ministry in other denominations because I don't have the education. 
And so, um, but here we are with a thriving church because of the, the view of how this can play out. That's really what makes us, I think, makes our church unique, or our denomination unique. Two distinctives you'll want to know about, though. I'm not going to hide them from you. They're not huge issues, and well, they are to some people, not to others, but um, we do practice infant baptism in our denomination, and we do, have, uh, we do ordain women for senior pastor positions in churches. The, uh, now, what you'll notice at our church, we don't do infant baptisms, and we don't have any women in senior positions like in our church. We have women active in ministry, and our, our church would not function, to be honest, with, with the majority of you women in here, because you guys carry a tremendous amount of the weight in terms of what happens here, so we are grateful to you. Um, but in terms of like senior pastors and elders' roles, we don't have that in our church. Here's the beautiful thing about our denomination. Their attitude. They say this, in essentials, meaning like, like you know, how you're saved and whatnot, uh, and how salvation occurs. In essential beliefs, unity. We have to unify in that. In non-essential beliefs, which is the infant baptism issue and the women in ministry as senior pastors, I'll make that, I'll make that distinction, um, that they say it's, it's a non-essential, so liberty, freedom to do what you want. So Genesis House is free to practice how we see the Bible playing out in these areas. And in all our beliefs, charity. So if you disagree with me, be gracious. Don't be a jerk when you try to argue your different position. So they know, the denomination knows how we view these two issues, and they say we welcome you as brothers and sisters in Christ in our denomination, even though you have a distinctive in these two areas. Okay? Okay, so that's, that's what I think is unique about, that's where we came from. That's what's unique about the Free Methodist Church. How about Genesis House? What do you need to know about us? If I were to help, uh, help you understand our church. We really have four bullets to our, our vision. Number one, we believe that the corporate worship service is really important. We believe that being here on Sunday and attending our church regularly is important. And we believe that, um, well, there's, uh, again, I can send you the sheet. I've got, I, I break down the distinctives and what these things look like for our church. And, uh, but this is part of who we are. You know, we have, we're unique in that we have you know, corporate times of prayer now in our services, when I remember. And we're also unique when, because we have post-sermon dialogue. And you can interact with me, uh, after, or Jeff, or Stu, or Roger, after we preach. And another thing, too, we're heavily focused on discipleship. We, you know, taking the phone calls at midnight if we have to, going over to people's houses to deal with real issues. We're not afraid of that, and we, and we, we, we are committed, like John Wesley was, to that, to that uh, vision of ministry life. Relational discipleship is a huge one for us. Um, we believe that the best way to engage people is to, in a discipleship process, is through relationship. Uh, we don't hold six-week programs in the basement and teach you, like, give you a booklet and say, now go out and disciple people. It's, we get into each other's lives through go over supper, over going to concerts with one another, um, you know, driving long distance in the car, uh, going over to each other's houses, whatever, and we just do life together and we work through issues using God's word at the center. Relational evangelism, same thing. We don't believe in handing out tracts in the street saying, are you, do you know, are you a sinner? Do you know you're going to hell? Like that kind of approach. 
We don't believe in doing that. We believe that we, we reach people by loving them on their terms, entering into their context, developing relationships with our neighbors, our friends, our family, those in our immediate midst, showing them genuine love, living out the Christian life. And through those experiences, through those experiences, get, pray for God to open up a door for spiritual conversation. And He's faithful in that. I Trust me, I, we know. <laughs> And then finally, the commit, final commitment is church planting. It's hard to think about because we're sort of small in ourselves, but we want to church, plant a church one day. And uh, we want to, we believe that smaller churches with, with strong leadership would serve the kingdom better than larger churches with, with small leadership. Because you cannot disciple and, and evangelize people, sorry, not, maybe not evangelize, but discipleship is very difficult to do in large contests unless you're structured really, really well. So we'd like to have small churches with m- multiple leaders. That's what we'd like, but that's not, sometimes the reality of things isn't always God's way of doing things. I don't think the early church thought that persecution was the way God was going to blow up his ministry. They probably thought, we just want to stay in Jerusalem and stay happy here, and we'll just grow. And God said, I got a different way of getting your church, my kingdom to grow. So even though this is our model, there's no sacred cows in Genesis house. There's no sacred cows. Everything gets blown up if it's not working. And when I say working, like that's another conversation about how do you measure that. But if, if, we're, di- if we're dying or struggling and things aren't going well, we have to reevaluate our ministry model. And so this is what we've stuck to. This is where we're going. This is the direction we're continuing to go. But we're open to the Spirit's leading and we know that He's faithful in telling us the directions he wants us to move. So again, these are, these are where we're at and we might be adding components to this as we go on in the future. Alright, so just to review, and I'll open up to questions. Why partner with us? Number one, it's a CRA mandate. I forgot to show you this PowerPoint. Um, In our current Canadian context, people interested in participating in any level of organized church leadership with minors, in particular, are required to comply with government and insurance company expectations. Canadian company and charities laws require members who will make legally binding decisions for the most for nonprofit organizations. This process is becoming a significant milestone in local churches who are complying with the law. Jesus Christ and Paul said, "You." you honor the government that you're under. Whatever the laws of the land are, you comply. Do I pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus says, you pay taxes to Caesar. Yeah, but Caesar's a jerk, Jesus. I know, I'm paying my, t- we all pay our taxes to Caesar. I know he's a jerk, right? Um, second P- or first Peter at Romans tells us, you obey the governing bodies unless they call you to sin, and then you don't. But this is the law of the land, this is where we're at, this is a reality for us. Um, let's see here. Yeah. So, a CRA requires it. Number two, FMCIC, Free Methodist Church in Canada, mandate. To become a society, we have to have membership. And that's the, where we're headed. We've grown from a little baby church plant to the tier, tier three in six years. It's a sign of church health, to be honest. It's not a sign of, it's not something poor to look at. Okay? And finally, uh, biblical support for it. Clearly, there's membership in the Bible. It was, again, the distinction is this. They could count the numbers. They knew the names of the people. 
It was because they were being baptized and they said, you are now part of our community. That's why you could have discipline. That's why Ananias and Sapphira were killed by the Spirit. Because they were claiming membership of the community and they were sinning against God. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, you can expel that person because they belong to you, but they're, but, you know, and so on and so forth. The difference though, the difference is simply this. There was one denomination, one distinctive in preferences in how the ministry was lived out. Today, we have hundreds, if not thousands of distinctives and denominations. So the difference now is we have to decide who do we want to partner with and who do we think has the vision that we can agree with in the way that the Spirit's led us to this point in our Christian journey. And for me personally, the way the Lord's led me and my family over the last 15 years, the Free Methodist Church is the way to go for us. I could not, again, because I could not serve in any other denomination because of their ministry model. And then you can see the beauty of what we do here as a denomination. Just so you know, I have a friend of mine, a friend of mine, this is not in my notes actually, a friend of mine just got, about two years ago, got kicked out of a church in Calgary and because he didn't hold a pre-rapture view of end times. So he, wasn't, he was in leadership there. They had a discussion with the senior uh, second pastor in command. They, and uh, they said, you don't hold a, rap, a pre-tribulation view of things you cannot practice being a minister here in this church anymore. And then Dan Jansen snatched him up and took him to his church. Isn't that crazy? Just because of a different view in the tribulation. And so what does our denomination say? We know Jesus is coming back. We know that. So that's good enough for us. <laughs> you can hold any view you want. And just, but again, when you teach your view, in all our beliefs, show charity. So someone in the dialogue says, I don't think that's biblically true. You're, you're gentle with them. You understand that because it's a non-essential to salvation. Again, you see how the denomination works through these issues. Yeah. So the difference really, that's again, back to one denomination that was God's original intent. We messed it up. We've got multiple denominations now because of distinctives and whatnot. But here we are and we have uh, the Free Methodist Church who we want to belong to. The difference between being a, uh, a member and a non-member, or a partner and a non-partner, is the difference between a spectator and a contributor. A spectator comes and says, you know what, I'm happy just to sit and listen and go home. And I don't, you know, I like people, but it's not a big deal if I'm involved in people's lives in this church or not. I just kind of do my thing. That's a spectator. A contributor says, yeah, I want to be involved in the lives of the people. I want to be part of the community. I want to be part of the vision and, and having voting rights and how we make decisions of this church. I want to contribute financially to this church and make this a big part of my life and to make this succeed in all these different areas of life. So again, we move from spectator to contributor by becoming a partner with Genesis House. So what are the prerequisites? The, I, I take the Acts passage uh, literally. To become a, part, a ministry partner with Genesis House and the Free Methodist Church, personal faith in Jesus Christ you must have a genuine faith. You must have a testimony in Jesus Christ. Number two, you have to be baptized as a believer. Not infant baptism. Baptized as a believer. Because remember how they entered into community in that church. Just so you know, like we got to experience this. Jewish people ritually bathe all the time. Everywhere in Israel, there are these little, look like little mini hot tubs made out of stone. They're basically they're called mikvahs. 
you'd ceremonially dunk yourself in water, come out, in and out. And Harvey and Gil, you saw them too, in and out, in and out water. They were familiar with purification with water. They're familiar with it. John the Baptist comes along, takes it to the Jordan River. And so when they, they weren't going, well, what's this new thing called baptism? They knew exactly what he was doing. They were getting purified, getting ready for the Messiah to come. They knew that. So baptism in the church, the, the baptism is not a Christian distinctive, by the way. Christians didn't invent it, the Jews did. It's part of their culture their whole lives. So we just adopted that practice and made it something uh, unique in terms of what it, what it meant, which is dying, dying to Christ. Well, it symbolized a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, again, so believer's baptism to be part of the, the community. Um, a commitment to support the congregation, to live in harmony with the people of, of the community of faith, and to be an active participant in the ministry of the church. You must read and accept the documents associated with the partnership. I'll send you them. There's art, articles of religion within the Free Methodist Church of Canada, uh, what they believe about justification, sanctification, you know, baptism, all these things are in there. Uh, the adopted vision of the Free Methodist Church in Canada, and the vision of Genesis House, which I've already shared with you in those four bullets. Now the next thing is, you have one week. You've been here for six years, most of you, some of you three, two, four, but a long time. You already know where you stand with our church for the, for the majority of you, right? If you want to become a member and partner with us, tell me by next Sunday, a week today. You have seven days to pray and to think about it. Talk to me about it. If you have concerns or questions, phone me. I'll meet you for coffee. Talk to you on the phone and we can deal with your specific issues. And then in two weeks today, on October 20th, we'll have everyone who wants to partner come up on stage and we'll go through uh, the covenant process. And I have, I'll send you those questions in advance so that you know what you're getting into. And so that's basically, that's basically how we're moving forward. Now I wanted to take this time to do it today because we just finished a, a sermon series in Second Theater and I'm going to transition into a new series. I thought what better opportunity than between sermon series to just introduce this concept because otherwise I have to go to every single one of your houses and have this conversation and it'd be impossible to do between now and Christmas. <laughs> I did in 32 minutes. That would take an hour and a half in your house because we'd go back and forth and dialogue. So, um, yeah, so that you wanted to use the opportunity here to walk it through biblically, important, most importantly, though. I used to be anti-member, anti-partner. That was my, my mindset for a lot of years. So I, God's had to do a work in my life. But I was convinced, not because of CRA, I was convinced because of what I saw happening in Acts. Luke said, I know the names of the people that belong to the body of Christ and the covenant they're making with us. Hence, the disciple, the discipline is only possible with a covenant. Because if you make a covenant that's sworn before the church and God, you can be now accountable, right? So this is really important. And so, unfortunately, we, I would love to go back to the Acts Church model in terms of one body of Christ, all believe the same thing, and, and function that way, but we just uh, unfortunately don't. We will in heaven, there'll be unification once again and preferences for ministry. 